Uh, This morning, Philippians, the third chapter and the first verse, Paul is writing to the Philippian people and encouraging them in their faith and giving them various instructions and stuff. And then he says this to them. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Good thing to do. It's why we do what we do. You come to a celebration church. There's a singing and the music and stuff and the celebratory attitude. It's because the Bible encourages. We're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. When you go to church, it's not supposed to be a funeral service. Seriously, a lot of people look like they've been baptized in prune juice. You know, smile a little bit. Lighten up. Enjoy life. Be blessed. Celebrate. Now he says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. What is he talking about? It's the challenge all preachers deal with, and that is, people don't really hear you until you've said the same thing at least three to five times. Now, it's kind of a drag if you happen to pay attention the first time, because now you're hearing it over and over and over again. It's like, hello, move on, different subject. But it's just the reality of it. Not everybody's always here. Not everybody even who's here is listening. They're staring at the lights or looking at bugs or I don't know whatever they're doing. But it takes a repetitive thing. Also, the other challenge in a church like ours that is continuing to grow is you have a lot of people in the varying stages of their faith. Uh, Some of you have been involved in this stuff for 30, 40 years. You could preach this stuff better than I can. You could just go right down the list and boom, boom, boom. Others of you, this is all very, very new. So you have to kind of use a broad brush as you're encouraging people and preaching. And some of the stuff you will hear will be repetitive. But it's good for you to hear it again. Now he says this. He says he kind of gets into his ticked off mode. He says, watch out for those dogs. Those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Sounds like a Michael Jackson thriller movie. But he's not talking about monsters here. He's talking about, actually, he's being pretty mean. He's talking about Christians. Christians who at the time were very, very concerned about still obeying all of the Old Testament. And all the rules and religious trappings. Uh, that had been in place for so many centuries because Christians came along and we basically didn't have to do those things. Uh, when they talk about mutilators of the flesh, they weren't talking, you know, they were talking about circumcision. You know, uh, Christians uh, came along and they decided you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Praise God. It's hard enough to get people to come to church as it is. <laughs> How you doing? Good? You know, anyway, um, <laughs> thank God we don't got to deal with that anymore. You know what I'm saying? And there are people who just couldn't let it go. We need to be circumcised. You need to follow all these old rules and rituals and regulations. Paul called them dogs, evil mutilators. They call themselves the circumcision because these we're the righteous. We're the right people because we are of the circumcision. He says, it's we who are the circumcision, the true circumcision. We who worship by the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for confidence. He says, you want to be religious? I'll compete with any of you. He says, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. According to the law of Moses, I'm a Jew of Jews, people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, my doctrine, my denomination, if you will, I was a Pharisee. 
These were the Pharisees Jesus ran into, you remember. As for zeal, as for my intensity for fighting for the religious rules and regulations of the past, I persecuted the church. Paul, remember, was called Saul, and he was one of the first to start persecuting Christians. He was there when the very first Christian was stoned to death, approving of it. He not only uh, approved of it, he liked persecuting Christians liked them so much he wasn't happy just to persecute the ones he ran into he actually went out of his way to go find them in fact this is when he had his conversion experience he was on his way to go find other Christians so he could persecute them and make their lives as miserable as possible so when Jesus shows up and boom you know and he becomes a believer so he was very very intense and then he has this amazing phrase he says as for legalistic righteousness now what we're talking about is the old testament we're not just talking about the ten commandments here there were hundreds of commandments we just talk about the top ten because those are kind of the the foundational ones but they had a gazillion commandments about when you could do this when you couldn't do that when you could sleep when you had to wake up when i mean they had rules about everything he says we're talking the fat book of the bible you know the fat part and all the old testament stuff all those rules and stuff He says, when it came to obeying all of those rules, I was faultless. Whoa, how do you get there? I mean, most of us have a hard time with the top ten. You know what I'm saying? Top ten, nothing, man. He nailed them all. Extremely religious, extremely righteous. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things he lost all that he was up and coming he was a major player he had the position the power the authority the money that all came with it and he gave it off his ass a bunch of nonsense and he says I consider them rubbish rubbish nice British word now uh, this is the NIV translation of the Bible. It's probably the most popular translation of the Bible today. It's the one I use almost all the time. But uh, as accurate as it is, the guys who translated this version of the Bible were really a bunch of wusses. Because they took any word, any phrase in the Bible that would have been considered shocking, they would go out of their way to water it down and take the edge off of it. Which I think... Uh, is disappointing because we don't really get to see the intensity to these guys who are talking about. At times they use very, very strong words. In fact, calling these guys dogs and stuff, at one point he says, I wish they'd all go to hell. I mean, he was really ticked off. Now, they didn't use that phraseology. They translated it, I would, they would be eternally condemned. Which means, I wish they'd go to hell. All right? I'm in pretty strong language now. But now when he says here, I consider them rubbish, that was very wussed out translation of the original word. The King James Bible was much closer to it when he said, I consider it all dung. And scholars will tell you that the actual word he used was the common word for dung that in our language begins with an S. And I won't say it this morning, but I mean, this is what he said. He says, to me, it's a big pile of dunga. This guy, I mean, he was real intense. I mean, it was, he was, talk about being real. These guys were real. I don't like the fact that they would translate the Bible in such a way that makes them look like they're all on morphine somewhere. and you know, Holy, calm people, you know. Now, remember what he calls rubbish. They're, on the face value, pretty nice things, but they're often things that become a source of pride, arrogance, self-righteousness. 
Stuff that gets us all in trouble all the time. Now, today's message is entitled, I just come up with these things. Uh, The title of this message is, It's True, People Are Full of It. (laughs) I'm not trying to be crude, I'm just talking Bible here. All right, now, the miracle of Christianity, you've heard me say this before, I shall repeat it, as Paul said, you have often to do. Christianity is unlike any other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world. If you're going to be a Buddhist, if you're going to convert to Judaism, if you're going to convert to Islam, you need to study. You need to learn what they know. You've got to understand their rituals and put into practice their experiences and pray the right prayers and do the right meditations and bow to Mecca five times a day or whatever the rule is. And even when they do that, there's all kinds of ritual involved in all of that. You've got to do all of this stuff and intensely discipline yourself to do all of these things in a desperate attempt to touch God. Christianity is completely the opposite. True Christianity is the anti-religion. Because true Christianity starts with you being touched by God. And you don't know jack squat. You know, and most of you will remember when you first got this and you first understood and you asked God to come into your life and you didn't know anything. All you know is, wow, God is real. God is, how many of you know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, boom, you got us real. I mean, most of you, when you first came to Jesus, you weren't actually on a spiritual quest. You just happened to get roped into a place where all of a sudden, what am I doing here? You know, now God was not shocked that you were here. You know, it wasn't like, well, I never thought he'd come to church. I mean, God knew, you know, a lot of you, it wasn't even in church. How many, when you first came to Jesus, it wasn't in a church at all? Yeah, a lot of hands. I wasn't, I wasn't on a spirit. When I first came to Jesus, I was in my basement smoking dope. Not, not exactly a spiritual quest. Well, I guess it was, but it wasn't the right spirit, you know, like. Woo. I was blowing reefer through my brains. Some guy came in and said, I need to tell you about something. I said, What's that? And he starts to tell me about Jesus. And I started to hear stuff I'd never heard before. And all I remember was the clarity that God loved me. And that if I would put my faith in Jesus, Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, I could have all of my sins forgiven and have the life of God in me. It blew my mind. And I remember praying with him and tears streaming down my face. And I'll tell you, my life was changed. I was I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about anything. In fact, most of you, you know, when you became a Christian, you started learning. You go, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, everything, everything's a discovery, right? Because you didn't know anything. Alright, so you start with God touching you, even though you don't know anything. And all of your sins are forgiven. I mean, how is that possible? Because everybody else in the world, they're working hard to work off all of their sins. No, that's not true Christianity. True knowing God is he forgives you of your sins. Boom, right off the bat. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's truly amazing. But even after all that, you're still full of it. How many of you know, even after you became a Christian, you still have issues in your life? Let me see. Oh, look at all those sinners. All right. Now, now we have to clean up all the caca that is in us. Now, I know this sounds very bizarre because every other you do the complete opposite. Remember, it's the, it's completely different when you really experience God in your life. And here's part of the problem. 
is that because in the beginning it's God who touches us unexpectedly. And because in the beginning it is God who forgives us. We don't do anything. You can't do anything. You can't buy it. You can't do anything to obtain forgiveness. It's just a gift of God that is given to you. And wow. And then we think, okay, now all the caca in me, God's going to fix that too. That's where we start to make the mistake. This is now where God expects you to get involved. In the process. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians when he says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us, 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 everybody say us, let us purify ourselves. I thought God was going to do everything. Apparently not. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So even though we have all this stuff in us self righteousness, self importance, self centeredness, Sins, all the different things that we struggle, habits, patterns that we have, it clouds us and we still have. And, and, and at times it's confusing to people because you know, you know God has touched you. You know you've been forgiven, but yet you know you're full of it. And you know you're still dealing with stuff. And sometimes we struggle and we get guilty and we feel condemned. No, 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 no. It's not anything wrong with you. It's That's the way it is. Now we need to clean it up. Okay? Paul talked about this when he'd say you know you need to be transformed how by changing the way you think you know this active stuff that we need to do this is where we blow it many Christians we just sit we're so used to God just doing everything and all of a sudden we get to this point of kind of cleaning up the ickiness in us God will help us he will be involved but we need to get active in this and as I was thinking these very bizarre thoughts this week about sewage water and everything else you know I, I, I got went online and I started studying sewage treatment plants you know I mean, how do they do this I mean in the end, you can drink the water. You drink this. You realize you drink this stuff. You don't want to drink it in the beginning. It's really nasty. How do you go from oh <laughs> to <laughs> it's really rather fascinating. So I started reading this, and as I was reading, I'm thinking there's actually spiritual correlations to these things. Now, this is not a detailed explanation of sewage treatment plants so if you happen to work at one and i miss a point or two it's no big deal but you get the basic idea i broke it out into three fundamental stages stage number one it's called the sedimentation stage this is when they pump in all the sewage and stuff into a tank and they just let it settle and all the icky caca floats to the bottom and all the nasty stuff floats to the bottom. And I thought, ooh, ooh, this is brilliant. Because this is what the Bible teaches us. In Psalm 46, he writes this. He says, be still and know that I am God. Some of you, we just need to be quiet. Get in a place where God can talk to you. You say, God never talks to me. It's because you never shut up. You're always yakking and doing something and running, and I got this meeting and that meeting and other, you know, and you know, just always we got TV and noise and craziness, and you finally lay down at night and you're watching TV until you can't stay awake anymore, and you shut it off and you fall asleep, and then you wake up. The first thing you do is turn on the TV, get more noise into your head. Teenagers are the worst at this, man. They've always got to have some noise in their brains. <laughs> put a teenager in a car and don't turn on the radio or give them an iPod it's like a crack addict man it's like, ugh, 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 ugh. turn on the radio turn on the radio shut up turn on the radio oh just shut up for a minute 
<laughs> Seriously, you teenagers, you're going to grow in your faith. You've got to learn to be quiet. And you adults, you're just like them. You don't learn to be quiet. Take five, ten minutes, 50, whatever it takes. Just some point in your day, early in the day, late at night when the kids go to whatever. Just sit and be quiet. Let the obvious icky stuff in your life settle. Get it out of you. Let God talk to you. Let him start pointing out some of the things. Oh, yeah, I guess I shouldn't have said that. And oh, maybe I shouldn't be that way. And I shouldn't have done that. You know, Let the settlement stage kick into your life. Be still. Be quiet. Stage two is what we call the aeration stage. This is where they pump oxygen into the water, spray the water out in the air. Because oxygen gets into there and it starts to purify and it clears it up. Uh, you'll see these in ponds. You know, you'll see a pond that's not getting much oxygen and it's all scummy and green and stuff and you know, dead fish are floating on it and stuff because it's, there's not enough oxygen. You put an aerator in there and you watch what happens. It clears it up. The scum goes away. The water becomes clear. You can see the bottom. All of a sudden there's a life in this thing. Why? Because of the power of the oxygen that is going through this. This is what I call the intentional stage. The first stage, pretty simple. You just don't do anything. Just be quiet. And it starts to take care of the first stuff. But the next stage is the intentional stage. This is where you start taking the Bible and you do this incredible magical thing. You actually open it up and read it. Now, a lot of you have Bibles in your homes, but you never read them. I got to tell you, it does you no good. Bibles are not omen or, or, or good luck charms that keep away evil spirits. In fact, there's probably evil spirits sitting on your Bible laughing at you. It's not a good luck charm. It doesn't keep away bad omens. You got to read the thing. It does you no good if you don't read it. This is the intentional. Say, well, all those parts I don't understand. Well, who cares? Read the stuff you do understand. It's pretty simple. And don't start in the Old Testament because that will bore you to tears. But get into the New Testament. And read it and get some of God's thoughts in you and spiritual thoughts in you. And it's like oxygen bubbling inside of you. And it starts to clear things up. And you start learning and things start making sense to you. But it won't happen by itself. God's not going to do it. You can't just come forward and I'll sprinkle holy dust on you. And all the caca leaves your life and then you're okay. I wish you could. I'd have big caca services. And we just fix all of you. But it doesn't work that way. You know what I'm talking about. You've got that stuff in your life. It's not going to go away by itself. Get quiet. Get still. And get the word of God into your life. And let this action start taking place in you. It will transform you. David writes about this. In Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. Your word is a powerful transforming thing. The Bible says God's word is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. God says my word will never return to me void. But will go out and it will accomplish what I intend for it to accomplish. It is powerful. It is life changing. But it will do you no good if you don't use it. It's like being sick and you have medicine in the cabinet. Say, are you sick? Yeah, I'm really sick. You got it? I got medicine. You take it? No, I got it in the cabinet. It's okay. <laughs> well, you need to take it. No, it's in the cabinet. It should be fine. 
It's not going to do you any good. You have to take it. You have to get the intentional stage. Now, here's the fascinating thing. At this point, it looks completely clean. It looks completely clear. All the icky has gotten out. They filtered it. They've aerated it. It's clear, sparkling water. But you don't want to drink it at this point. Because it has all kinds of nasty stuff floating around in there that will make you sicker than a dog, may even kill you. This is where they go to the final stage. It's the chemical stage. This is so important because it kills off all the icky stuff you cannot see. Oh man, if that doesn't describe a whole bunch of Christians I know. They've been at it long enough that all the ugly stuff has settled to the bottom. They've cleaned that up. They've got some air in them. They look all sparkling and stuff. But they don't realize they still have icky stuff in them. This is the chemical stage. This, for our analogy, is when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life and say, God, clean me. Zap everything in me that is not good, that is not right. And when you allow that to happen, this is what ultimately, this is the God part of it, that purifies you so now you can drink the water. This is now you are filled with life-giving water. But a lot of people, they just think because they look sparkly for a while, they're okay. That's where you get in trouble. The Bible says, when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. It's all of us, and we all do this. I was just talking to a brother, you know, we all walk along, we think we're fine, all of a sudden we do something stupid, it's like, ah, you know, we all do this because we get careless. It's not the end of the world, we do this, we stumble, and then we grow, okay? And we learn from these things. But this is how God purifies us, and this is how we become life-giving in the water, in our lives. In Psalms we read again, David now. Says this in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. See what's really here. Here's a man who's praying. His act is all together. He's a righteous man. He does the right things. He's a man after God's own heart, but he has the sense. He says, I know it's all sparkly, but is there really clear life in me? And he says, search me, God. Search me. Let your Holy Spirit come and zap what's not right in me. And then he says this, test me. Test me. Now, One of the reasons why the United States of America has the most pure drinking water supply in the world is they're always testing it. They're always testing it. They've run it through the process, but then they continue to test it. And if it starts to vary at all, they act quickly to make it right. Now, I have been to countries where they don't do this. They do the basic part. They get it all clean, they aerate it, they chemicalize it, but they don't test it anymore. And... This is where you go traveling around the world and you get Montezuma's revenge. (laughs) I've had this wonderful experience. Gives you an opportunity to meditate for hours on end on the golden throne (laughs) of your home. It's quite miserable actually. Why? Because that water, it looks clear that they're not testing it. They're not as vigilant as we are. We as people of faith are to be vigilant. And we need to say, God, test me. I think everything's right, but test me. Is it good? Now, make no mistake, we don't like tests. I don't like them. Never did in school. Still don't like them. But make no mistake, God is always testing you. Now, I'm not talking tempting. 
If you get tempted, that's not God. Okay, God never tempts people. That's a whole different ballgame. That's from hell itself. But when you're being tested, this is God who comes along and tests you. Now, these tests come in various ways during the week. Something happens you weren't expecting to happen. Or your spouse pushes a button. You hate it when she pushes that button. Or someone cuts you off in traffic and waves the your number one sign at you. (laughs) These are the tests of life. How you doing with those tests? Because that's when you really get a picture of what you're like. You see, it's important to act the right way. It is imperative as people of faith that we do act the right way. But make no mistake, it's pretty easy to act. That's why they call it acting. Some people are great actors, even though they're not really like that. When you watch a movie and some, you know, one guy is destroying the whole world with one pistol. You know, (laughs) have you noticed these movies? All the bad guys have machine guns. But then the good guy just goes bang, bang, everybody dies. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's cool to watch, but I don't think it's really like that. I want the machine gun, man. I want the bazooka, you know. These guys, all they need is the one pistol. They're acting. They really can't do that. Okay, most of them would run if trouble came, like most of us. Acting is one thing. You can fake acting, but you can't fake reacting. Because when you react to the unexpected, when you react to the tests, of patience and tribulation that come into your life. This is where we get a picture of you. This is God testing the water and goes, hmm, got bugs in that one still. Okay? Now it's an amazing thing. We don't like to be tested. Here's David who has the courage to pray for tests. When was the last time you did that? I mean, if I'm going to pray, I pray I don't want to test. Please, nice day today. It's like a really nice day. No stuff. But here's David. He so wants to have a pure heart before God. Even though it looks sparkling clean and he's done all the right steps. God, test me. Intentionally run me through the ringer a little bit. Let me see what I'm made of. Wow. How do you get there? And let me encourage you. You can be at that place of just pure water, just flooding through your soul but unexpectedly something will happen some sin will come in your life you become negligent in areas of discipline in your life and sure enough you can get a ton of sewage dumped right back into you what do you do? you start over again you get quiet you get clean you ask the Holy Spirit to zap away what you cannot see so that we can walk around as clear. But let me encourage you, don't get disappointed or discouraged when you see the icky in you as if, you know, because you can be confused. I mean, that's when thoughts will come in your head like, well, you're not really a Christian or, you know, God doesn't really love you or you're nothing but a big hypocrite and anybody ever have these thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because you look and you go, ah, you know, that's not what you were hoping for. And you think, this is, no, no, it's still real. God really forgave you. You've been touched by God. God actually likes you. I I, I don't know why. But he does. Just because you see the icky in you, don't panic. 
Don't freak. Don't come unglued. It's okay. Just be still. Get clean. Let God radiate what you cannot see in your life. And don't get critical of others when you see them full of caca. Okay? I mean, this is stuff you've heard for forever. You know, that guy, he says he's a Christian, but he's nothing but a... Or that church, those things are really holy people. You really get to know them. They're nothing but a... We've all heard this, right? Or that preacher, he thinks that... But you really get to know that preacher. He's really a... Just chill out. Are those things true? Maybe. Are they full of ickiness? Very possibly. Does it mean they're not Christians? No, no, not at all. Doesn't mean they're not Christians. Doesn't mean not they're valuable. Doesn't mean that they're not usable by God. It just means they need to clean up just like the rest of us. And we will do this. And you have to be vigilant with this till the day you die. And then we'll be set free from this body. That's why Paul said, man, he said, I can't wait to die. He really did basically. He said, you know, I'd, nobody likes to die, but he think back. In a way, I can't wait to die because then I'm done with this. You don't deal with this sewage problem anymore. Then you're free of it. But until that day, don't be discouraged. And don't let other people, again, make you critical of others. Or even your pastor, you know. Every once in a while I hear somebody say, you know, Pastor Mark, you know, here's the problem with him. And people get discouraged. Oh my gosh, he's really not perfect. And, And they're shocked. Really? You're shocked that I have some sewage in me from time to time. Maybe I'm not the most patient guy in the world. Maybe I'm the most compassionate man in the world. Maybe I say or do something that isn't the most perfect. This shocks you? Doesn't shock my wife. (laughs) You know? I mean, come on. Let's get to the point that someone can point out that somebody's full of it and we go, that's okay. That's okay. He just needs to settle. Get the word of God in him. Let the Holy Spirit clean him up. It's life. It's the Christian journey that we're on. Don't you get discouraged when it happens to you. And don't get critical of others when it happens to them. And don't lose heart in your leaders when you might see it from time to time or hear of it from time to time in them as well. Okay? People are full of it. It's life. It's the way it is. That's the miracle of salvation. That in spite of that, God loves you. He, you don't think he knows you? You don't think he knows what you're like? You don't, you don't think he knows you're thinking, I want to strangle that guy behind me because he keeps scratching his nose and it's irritating. I hate that. He knows all the stuff about you. The great thing of the Christian faith and God's grace is in spite of the fact that at times we are overwhelmingly full of it. God loves us. It changes nothing. It's still real. It's still powerful. You just don't want to stay in the sewage stage. Clean it up. Get quiet. Get God's life in you. Let God speak to you. I'm going to invite the ushers. At this time, to come and get ready to serve communion, and our musicians can come back up.
You know, communion, something we do every Sunday, if you read what Paul, the apostle, writes about it, he basically says what I just said. He says, when you take communion, the first thing you should do, examine yourself. Look inside, get quiet. Look inside, what do you see? Test the water. Where are you at with this? How have you handled this last week's tests? How'd you do, huh? When that guy cut you off, when your wife was getting on your nerves and your husband seems like he was demon-possessed and your kids, your kids, we don't even want to talk about your kids. How'd you handle those tests? How'd you handle it when you waved at the pastor and he walked past you and he didn't say anything to you because he didn't notice you? Of course, you're convinced that I hate you, but I didn't notice you. How did you handle that? How'd you do last week, huh? Where you at? Reflect. Look inward. Say, Lord, clean me up. Search me, O God. Test me, O God. Help me to be clean water that can bring life to my spouse, to my children, to my workplace, to my church. Maybe you heard this morning you're saying, dude, I... I've never even done the first step. I've never been touched by God. I've never experienced that. I've never, I don't know that my sins are all forgiven. Well, we're going to pray a prayer together. And we're going to invite everybody to pray this prayer with me. And if you'll mean this from the bottom of your heart, you can start to experience this wonderful thing I've been talking about. Even though you still might have some issues. Even though you still might be going on inside. God can touch you this morning. He can forgive you, clean you up, and put new life in you. Let's all bow our heads in a word of prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And that you love me so much. You went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life. To touch me. And forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you. Amen.